passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We want a dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Rewind to Dynamite is live. I am John Pollock, joined by the Nostradamus himself, Wei Ting. Everyone racking their brains all week. The baddest bitch from the 305, and Wei put everybody on notice. He said, folks, step up. Try and get one past me. Hello, Wei. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was the, the mystery plaguing the entire, it was. Uh, you know, forget wrestling world, you know, the entire world itself. Who was going to accompany uh, uh, Diamante. They were asking AEW about Rampage. this outside of wrestling. I heard I was, I, I went to the uh, supermarket today. It was all the talk uh, of the produce aisle. The baddest bitch from the 305. What's your short list? And everyone was just giving out ideas. And I said, listen, there's yeah. one name. It could only be one. I honestly, I mean, there, there really could be no one else when you really think about the, the baddest bitch from the 305 i think it just it's more so surprising because the name trina i don't think is, is on anybody's um map or tongue like or hasn't been for i don't know long long time and even when yeah anyway we'll we'll, we'll talk about it yeah we'll talk about that main event of trina's uh reveal later in this show but we are going to be going through all of dynamite grand slam the first two of four hours from Arthur Ashe Stadium. So that audience is now uh, sitting back for another eight matches of professional wrestling. And based on the way they, they lined everything up, and again, we're, we're talking, they probably have even started the first Rampage match yet. But I'm thinking that with the Lights Out edition, that it probably ends now with Hobbs and Starks. Like, you kind of have to end with the Lights Out match. Yeah, you, you could be right. Four hours in, man, that's a... That's a risk. That a- that sounds like a risky match to do at the end of everything. So mm-hmm. they they are in a very if they if they close it that's a that's a very high pressure situation when they have seen a lot of wrestling. Um, and just after these two hours, um, now now you're sitting through another eight. So a packed show. Yeah, yeah, we'll be talking about that Friday at midnight. So. Uh, want to alert everybody, uh, and we're going to be kicking things off with the Grand Slam review, but uh, a few shows that we have dropped uh, over the last couple of days, including Rewind Away, number 116, some some great uh, reaction to Starcade 1995, and the the real controversy coming out of that, and that was uh, Kimberly Page, Sonny Ono, and I guess international relations between WCW and New Japan and the English-speaking world, and the Japanese. 
How would this be? How would the the United Nations of professional wrestling, that being Starcade, handle these uh, international conflicts? I'll say, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody, of course, listening to this has heard about the Forbidden Door. Um, the concept was executed in a much different way in the mid '90s. Let's just say, as yes. WCW takes on New Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, somehow America is uh, at stake, being defended by a Canadian, a German, Sting, among others, um, from the evil clutches of Sonny Ono. Well, you, you have to Japanese remember, Starcade yeah. took place like just a year after World War II ended. So these tensions were still pretty heightened yeah. at this point in 1995. So, I mean, of this, course. this was just, it was on everyone's mind. It was, it was still fresh, this hostility. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there's some great wrestling on this show um, in the form of uh, Eddie Guerrero versus Sanjiro Otani. That match is actually available for free on YouTube, so you can at least watch that one for free. Uh, and then listen to us talk about the rest, which um, were many shades of, of awful, awful in terms of uh, xenophobia, but it was fun to talk about nonetheless. Yeah, so that was a, a very fun review uh, with Kashan Amarali joining us as well mm-hmm. to chat about his history. Uh, of scramble vision viewing when it came to this event and uh, discussing Starcade 1995, which he now got to see in, in, in real visual uh, form uh, with this, with this review. So uh, that is up there. And if you are a member of our YouTube members only section, you can get the video and see ways discussed at some of these promos and depictions as well. I think this is one you need to watch with video. Correct. Yeah. Also, it's also available for Apple subscriptions as well. Uh, But we always encourage people to sign up on the Patreon. It is about $2 cheaper than it is on the other sources. And it's, uh, you know, no matter how you choose to get it, Post Wrestling Cafe uh, for all your bonus content, including Rewind to Smackdown and Rampage Grand Slam this Friday. Yeah, and we're we're going to be introducing some some new uh, ideas that Way and I've been batting around uh, on Patreon, so you can be looking out for that. Uh, if you want to wait until the the first of the month, see what we have in store. Uh, wait till the first, and then d- decide if it's something you want to dive into. And uh, we will be talking about that more in the coming weeks. But there you have it. Rewind away. It's available now. Thursday, we've got a double header. We've got the wellness policy with Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan. Listen, the world's a complicated place. What are you going to do for a living? How are you navigating your career in 2022? It's a question I ask myself on a daily basis, and I hope that Jordan and Neil will have all the answers, and in 90 minutes, they'll have this problem solved for us. Career is like sort of a, a topic that I think we've broached you know, occasionally, but this one, I think uh, Neil and Jordan will be doing a re- really deep dive on it. In particular, Jordan, I think, will be speaking at length about his um like his ability to to earn what essentially was a dream job for him at the time, uh, working for Ring of Honor. So I'm very curious to hear it myself. I'll be in the chat room interacting with everybody. So do check that out. 3 p.m. Eastern time. The link should be at postwrestlingcafe.com, but it'll be available for free for everybody. And then Thursday night, it will be Rich Fan and Karen Peterson going over the latest episode of She-Hulk, episode six. And mm-hmm. uh, I look forward to their discussion about She-Hulk when and, once I get to this series, this series is going to be just parked for me at the side. I will absolutely listen to every one of these once I go through She-Hulk. You've got a lot to catch up on, and so it's. It, it, I, I await your thoughts uh, eventually, maybe on WandaVision. Um, you know, <laughs> two years from now, John. I finished WandaVision. But I finished WandaVision. Yes, okay, I, well. I finished WandaVision. Uh, amazingly, I am just finishing Drive to Survive now. I'm on the really? last. I stopped wow. it for like three months i just fell out of it you in survived season four. so yes um 
Lewis Hamilton just took a tire to the head, so I, I'm I'm all up to date on season four. I've got an episode left, but I've also started watching The Bear. Are you familiar with The Bear? I've finished The Bear. It is. You watched it awesome. already? Yeah. It's, it's a very addictive show. I could finish this in probably a night or two, but I've yeah. spaced it out a little. And it's especially relevant to wrestling fans because the the lead actor. Oh, that's right. That's right. Is he, playing he, Carrie Von Eric. Yes. Uh, He's going to have to gain a few inches to prepare for this role. I don't know how that guy, you know, is is going to uh, play Carrie all of a sudden. But with Zac Efron, of all people, playing another Von Eric. So I'm I'm very interested in that movie, too, whenever it comes out. All right. Well, there you go. That's that's all my viewing. I know that's what everyone tuned in to hear about in the chat room. And they could just listen to us talk about all our, uh, our all our viewings uh, that are going on. Are there any are you watching any shows at the moment? Uh, the bear was the main thing. I yeah. still have to catch up on the Bachelor finale. Um Oh, and don't no spoilers, please, everybody. I'm very sensitive to it. OK, no spoilers in the chat. I will. Is, is this a one hour, two hour? What 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 kind of a marathon? I think it was this? like three hours. For what? I mean, I think it pretty much went head to head with. Well, it was a Tuesday, so it, I think it, it obviously went head to head with NXT. <laughs> And maybe even some. have they have they done three hour finales in the past? I feel two yeah. was like their Mac. Oh, they have done three. They've done two night, two hour things, dude. Like Lord. it's if there's anything that rivals wrestling in terms of like amount of content, it might be The Bachelor. For whatever reason, this is the last thing, and then we will move on to the review. I, for whatever reason, I saved this on my DVR for no reason, and then I sat down and watched this last night. Have you ever seen Gone in sixty seconds? The movie no. with Nicolas Cage. It's I'm not. Awful. It's an awful, awful movie. Nicolas yeah. Cage is terrible in this movie. It's a bad movie. It's it's almost like it's the someone watched it and figured we could do a better job of this next year with Fast and the Furious. Like it's just mm. a, a it's a worse version of Fast and the Furious. Uh a terrible movie. But uh Apollo four forty got their big hit song. Their one and only. Remember that Stop the Rock? Yes, I do. Yeah. Anyway, anyway that's my update. That's that's what I do in my free time. I watch bad movies. Okay. AEW Dynamite Grand Slam from Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, WrestleTix earlier today, their latest figure was uh, 12,412 tickets out. So uh, a far cry from last year where it was over 21,000 in the building and 18,300 paid. But this year had a higher gate. And Tony Khan did state that they did surpass the million dollar mark. So this would be that's an impressive figure for a non-pay-per-view. And it would be their fourth million dollar gate of the year. And first time they've done it for uh, a non-pay-per-view event. So obviously prices were scaled up. So you do have the lower number, but a more uh, more revenue that they generated this time around. And I will say, um, this crowd, they it did not sound like thousands less than last year. It was an awesome crowd. And for some of these finishes, um, I would say... I, I would say you could make a short list of like the biggest reactions on the show, but I would say Paige and... The acclaimed winning would be one and two. Agreed. Uh, I think the opening segment too was like incredibly loud. Maybe that was just because I had fresh <laughs> ears, but uh, absolutely all of those moments. Um, yeah, like it, it, and I would be willing to bet that, like, you know, coming out of this show, anybody who paid that higher ticket price wasn't going to necessarily complain too much about it because I, I think for a long time, you know, we, we've said like AEW have kind of underpriced, you know, their, their shows. Um, and this year, I, I mean, maybe this is the the new standard. Um, so, and Tony Khan was certainly, you know, not afraid to celebrate the fact that he had higher ticket price ticket prices and made more money this year. I mean, if you're if you're gonna drop like a minimum 
$80 or so on a show. Th- this to me was an $80 event. When you look Agreed. at this, like between yeah. for, for those four hours, um, like this is an, inc- this is one of the deepest lineups that they have presented period. I, mm-hmm. I would say like this was a really deep card between these two that it looked really impressive when you're combining both together. Agreed. So let's get into it. Uh, Excalibur, Tony Schiavone and Taz on commentary throughout the duration of Dynamite. But to open things up, it's the ROH Championship match, meaning Ian Riccoboni is with them. Bobby Cruz is the ring announcer and ringside, Carrie Silken. You know what? Um, it makes it feel so much more authentic just simply having Carrie ringside. You know, I, I, I don't know if this was just a special occasion that I happened to attend anyway. But I hope, like, they have Carrie traveling to every single, like, real ROH show whenever, like, it comes back. Cause well, to make it the most authentic, he would have to be greeting people as they're on the way in and out of the arena. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not do that? Like, th- honestly, like, we, it adds a lot to me to make it feel like a real ROH show. Jericho is the first one out. It was deafening for Judas. Yeah. Um, this... Uh, like, I, I know there's always the argument about, like, you have an entrance like this, and this is where you can overthink things, that he's a heel, but this is such a crowd-pleasing one. It's like, you watch this, it's like, how would you make the call to, like, cut this off or screw the fans out of just l- letting their lungs burst at, yeah. at the like this was just an awesome awesome entrance and it doesn't it doesn't prohibit Jericho from being a heel the second the bell rings and being in that role yeah I and, and I, I do think there's valid concern like you know when, whenever a heel comes out with like this incredibly over like baby face entrance does it overshadow whatever the actual baby face is trying to achieve and thankfully like all of Jericho's baby face opponents thus far have like overcome it or at least like jericho has been a a good enough heel that it hasn't been been an issue um they had you know incredible like reactions for claudio's entrance as well he doesn't have a chance of the song but they knew who they wanted to cheer for is throughout the match yeah so despite jericho coming out with his tassels on his jacket he was introduced as the wizard and not lionheart so he was working Mm. as the wizard and they noted aubrey edwards being the first female official for an roh match Right. Yeah, those sort of stats, like, I, it's like saying, you know, like... I like don't know if you want to call winning... attention to some of these these uh, milestones that are being accomplished in 2022. Oh, right. Well, I guess I just mean, like, it doesn't... Like, it's not really ROH, you know? Like, it's it's still AEW. You're just... They're just competing for an ROH championship. So I don't, I don't put too much, you know, credit to that stuff, but sure. They acknowledge the code of honor and the two shake hands, but then Jericho slaps Claudio and he goes to the floor and he hides behind Carrie Silken and then uses Carrie as a weapon to toss him at Claudio and then goes for a cheap shot that didn't quite connect with, with, with Claudio. It was a little clumsy here, but Carrie goes down to the ground and Jericho starts attacking Carrie. So on this show, dude, between Carrie Silken and Tony Schiavone, they were just taking it out on taking it out on these older guys man like they took some punishment in these matches or in the the segment later that we'll talk about yeah clearly yeah ian's yelling he's had a reconstructive like knee surgery and a neck injury it's like (laughs) anyway this was carrie's big uh big bump that he took if you're gonna do one you do it at a big show like this i guess agreed you're not doing this at the chicago ridge on night one (laughs) You know, like like we've seen like Jericho do so often time, whether it be like, you know, um doing like doing stuff with the cameraman or screwing around with like um 
uh, uh, Shota Umino, uh, you know, in front of his dad. Um, he does like the sort of creative stuff outside of the ring that I, I just always love to see. You know, it's, it's an extra level of creativity that makes his sort of heel performances that much more special. I will say, I think Carrie could have sold a little bit better. Though. Oh, give me you a know? break. That's probably never taken a bump. I, I don't even know it. if he's taken a bump. So first of all, we've seen referees. Okay. For a non-wrestler in a professional wrestling <laughs> setting, the moment, the, the moment they, t- they get touched by a wrestler, you know, they, they, they're, they're out for like, to, to f- <laughs> 10 minutes carry here he must have been doing some training okay that we don't know about the man has seen some shit in his lifetime we we know some stories so um maybe, he's told most of them that's it yeah he he took this not only did he take like a shove from jericho he took like a it was it a slap or something we couldn't really yeah. see on camera yeah he was he smacking took a slap weathered it and just walked right back up to his seat so the toughest man on the roster maybe give him a title shot Hey, I mean, this, this, maybe this was just the first chapter of a, of a long story. So Jericho then hits Claudio with a superplex off the apron to the floor to set up the, uh, picture in picture. Uh, they got, there was, they fought on the turnbuckle and Jericho goes for a Frankensteiner. It's blocked. So Claudio goes for a Ricola bomb off of the turnbuckle, which Jericho turns into a Hurricane Rana. This, this, this blew my mind of. Yeah. Jericho doing this. I mean, when you look at just how smooth he was able to do this, and I mean, this this was incredible. This was, I'm not going to say it was to the degree of like Eddie Ray in 97, but it, I mean, this looked incredible. Complete, oh, yeah, totally. I, you know, like this feels to me like, at least like in North America, it feels like a relatively modern spot that you're maybe you've only in recent years started to see on television, at least. Um, so it's been around, but to see somebody at Chris Jericho's age and tenure doing it is so incredibly impressive. And he's already been pulling off the Ronas, you know, the Frankensteiners off the top. Um, you know, th- there's probably some mechanic added to it that, you know, added a big deal of, of difficulty. And, and to see him be able to pull this off with obviously a very talented uh, person on the other end, this is, uh, Claudio, um, was one of the highlights of the match for me, certainly. I thought this was the most impressive spot of of the match. Mm-hmm. There was the Ricola bomb that Claudio hits, and Jericho kicks out of that. Now this th- this audience they they were into all of this. It's the first match out. They're popping big for for all of this. But then Claudio comes off the middle rope and he turns, and he's supposed to be hit with a code breaker. This, this was not smooth. This code breaker it really didn't connect all that well. And Jericho goes to the walls, and Claudio escapes and grabs him by the legs, and this crowd lost it for the giant swing. And this thing went on forever. This was like a 30-second giant swing, and he's. it was amazing to watch this without the crazy cuts that we would see in WWE. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, they yeah, had the a zoom. few cuts. The, the zoom in and out, but they were also doing the cuts. They would also All cut. Right. So, anyway, it was, it was nice that I didn't feel like Jericho watching the spot. Mm-hmm. Which sure. usually was uh, how how this ended. Uh, he he kicks out of a lariat from Claudio, and then Jericho goes for the bat, and Claudio blocks it, goes for the neutralizer, and Jericho counters it with a back body drop, and Claudio lands on his feet, and I guess he was supposed to smoothly like land, and then the momentum takes him into Aubrey Edwards, mm-hmm. but his feet planted, and then he like moved forward. So I feel that anyway. Go ahead. Well, okay, please. You're going to make a joke. So I started to. What are you talking about? I was going to give a very serious piece (laughs) of analysis here. Okay, fine. I was going to say, 
I have you not like spun in a circle? Like, have you not spun? I don't know, like yourself uh, dizzy as a kid. You're still standing on your feet, but you might still teeter over afterwards. That's how I kind of bought this for Claudio. For Claudio, yeah. why was Claudio dizzy? What well, he was like? What, what was it? What was the move he was going for? He was going for the neutralizer, and he got flipped over. Yeah, and he landed on his feet. Okay, he landed so on his feet, but it was the back body drop dizzy. gave him vertigo. Okay, I could buy it, sir. Okay, that's that's your explanation for this. Yeah. I feel that it, watching it, what it reminded me of was when my I'm streaming something and my my screen freezes and then it just jumps forward when it when it picks up. So I thought this was a tribute to ROH on Go Fight Live, where it just it froze where he lands and then it picked up and he zoomed in fast. They're really going for that authenticity with with Carrie and um, all right that. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was a little clunky here because he goes into the corner and Aubrey like shields herself and then turns around and this leads to the low blow by Jericho and the Judas effect and pins Claudio in 1448 and it was a massive pop for the title change. Jericho Appreciation Society is out on the ramp to celebrate, including Daniel Garcia, who looks just like the saddest individual in this entire stadium and gives Jericho the lamest high five. And I guess that this was a moderate surprise to me. I figured that the end goal is Jericho gets this title because there's a great story of Garcia winning this title back down the road for ROH. But um, the the end goal is, is Garcia getting the title? You mean I could see Garcia going for the ROH title down, down the road. Yes. I agree. Um, Mm -hmm. Like long term Jericho. Sorry, sorry. Garcia going for the ROH title eventually. But um, this was earlier than I expected them to, to go to this. But I guess yeah. they figure let's we want to elevate this title. We're going to put it on a top guy. And Chris Jericho is a top guy to have this title on. Mm-hmm. I, too, was a little like was was surprised by, by the switch because it still feels to me like Claudio was just getting going with the ROH belt. And I mean, the Gresham. AEW run at least was relatively non-existent. So to kind of have like a bit of a hot potatoing of the championship, um, I, I, I didn't think that they were going to do it. But if you obviously want the ROH title to feel relevant on your program, yeah, this is a great move. And it's hard for me to complain about any sort of direction that they're going with when you get a great match like this. The atmosphere in this match was incredible. Claudio's energy and pace. Like, uh, you know, you and I were, were discussing what was going to be the, the, the kickoff, like the, the starting, the opening match. We And we were thinking what like whether they would actually do the, you know, Mox and Brian match in this spot or the acclaimed and, and Swerve in Our Glory. I don't know why we didn't consider this one because this was a perfect opener, especially because when you have Claudio's energy and pace, you know, he makes a great choice for something just to kind of really get that crowd going and completely sucked in since he's debuted in AEW. It just, it feels like he's been let off his leash and he's allowed to to run as fast as he can. So I hope like this, this isn't really the end of his, I guess, you know, journey towards being sort of like a mid to top level guy. Like, because that's what I don't want is for him to be out of this title picture and then just kind of being stuck in the mid card. But um, he'll get over every single time. He's just such an incredible performer. But what's more incredible, of course, is Chris Jericho, 50-something-year-old Chris Jericho, taking all of those moves, adding enough new wrinkles to his game to to update his style to match uh, a modern modern taste. And, of course, you have all that smart heelish stuff that he continues to do, like the carry spot. 
overall, like I felt just, this just was re- replay that all this great I stuff. He had like the Carrie Sulkin spot. Like who forget the Rana dude. It's the Carrie Sulkin spot. That was maybe my favorite thing. But, but for me, it was like, this was probably the best presentation ROH has had on AEW TV proper. It was a big stadium crowd. Great emphasis on the meaning behind the code of honor at the start of the match, even having some symbolic significance with Carrie Silken there. And then it just having somebody like Chris Jericho and Claudio Castagnoli attached to it makes it just feel so positive and so big. Yeah, I, I thought that this, other than a few, a few timing issues in the match, I mean, t- to me, it was, it was still a really enjoyable match. Crowd was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think that it was uh, a really strong start, especially like using Judas at the beginning and doing a big title change. Like the crowd just went nuts here uh, for this match. And like storyline wise, like this outcome does give you a lot more interesting ways to go with this uh, with with Chris Jericho. And conversely, you kind of have Claudio and Yuta in this situation as the two BCC members that have lost those ROH belts and. And then you couple in like Danielson's coming off the loss. So it's, it's Moxley who is like the lone member with the title and hmm. the other three that are either coming off of uh, title losses or coming up short with the main event. Swerve in our glory against the acclaimed. One thing about this show is that outside of a like the MJF segment, like it was match, maybe quick video match. It was just it was a like, pay-per-view. Yeah, it was the pay-per-view style of layout where they yeah. wanted to give all of these matches as much time as they could have and cut out mm-hmm. whatever whatever small amount of fat that there was. It that- was a two-hour pay-per-view. It felt like an old takeover. Yeah, that was kind of the, the, the idea, I feel, yeah. of, the, of the layout. So Swerve in Our Glory against the Acclaim for the tag titles. We have Fabulous coming out with Swerve Strickland. and Fabulous finally made it to a wrestling show after you know all what? those John Cena WrestleMania 19 rumors. That's right. I mean, it took him 19 years. He should have come out with like a cardboard cutout of John Cena and destroyed it. (laughs) I think everybody in that building would have uh, understood the reference, but yeah, definitely. And then the acclaimed have a DJ Wu kid with them. Who kid? Who kid? Yeah. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Explain. uh, Were you familiar with uh, with DJ Who kid? Yeah, he's like a G units DJ, like a mixtape guy. I like the fact that they had like these like um, people in, in their in their corner. I, I think it just added mm-hmm. to this show overall of just having you know outside celebrities on the show that they put throughout and on the next show as well. I, I honestly haven't been following like too much hip hop like in in the past I don't know like five six years. So I don't know how relevant yeah, these these names really are today. Um, like I, I guess this, this guy's pretty popular. Like um, don't, don't go by my. Uh, by my right. uh, recognition factor, like he, like he's pretty well known. Yeah, no, I, I, I know that, but like, is, is this like does does do do certain appearance like is it Tony Khan catering to like people of his age demographic, our age demographic, you know, that were like really into like music in early two thousands, or like, or, or I mean, but like they they they're they're kind of across the board. Like they have a lot of new rappers in occasionally as well. So yeah, no, this was great. Like you know, to New York sort of area things. Uh, so the match begins and early on Keith Lee gets lifted in the air and hits a Rana onto Anthony Bowens and Taz compares it to when he was wrestling Bam Bam Bigelow. And 
uh, we see, I, I thought Swerve in terms of working as a heel was fantastic in, in this. Like he, this crowd hated Swerve in our glory. Like it was mm-hmm. real heat that these two got. And of course, loved the acclaimed. Uh, and I, I skipped over, but Max Caster came out and, and did a rap mentioning Little Mermaid and calling them Swerve in a glory hole. And the crowd loved this. Yeah. He must yeah. have been saving that one for a while. Yeah. You have to think that he had this one in the chamber, this whole feud, and yeah. realized, okay, when, when they knew, glory. okay, Swerve we're doing glory hole. Huh. <laughs> I can't use that right away. You better save that for three weeks. So, um, a- anyway, we we have Lee here dumping Bowens onto the ramp with a beal. They just continually boo. Lee missed a moonsault off the second turnbuckle as Caster moved, and then Swerve grabs the boom box and nails Keith Lee by mistake, and the acclaim, they scissor on the apron, blockbuster by Bowens, but Max Caster, who injured his knee earlier in the match after Swerve attacked him, can't hit the mic drop as his knee gives out, so it's like this golden opportunity after the boom box shot, and they can't capitalize. So the announcers explain that I don't think Max is going to return to the match now. I think he's out within 30 seconds of them saying that Bowens is tagging in Caster and he's in there with Swerve. And anyway, the he, he continues. So Swerve has him on the turnbuckle and like sent him off the turnbuckle. And I guess he was meant to be hit with a pounce from Lee, but it was just timed completely wrong. So they just mm. sort of had to improvise this. And Lee just lifts up Caster into a sit-out powerbomb by Swerve for a two-count. And I like the fact that they didn't just try to reset and do this over again because it was probably one of the more elaborate things they thought up. But it was it was totally mistimed. Let's just move on. And, and people forgot about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely a blemish, yes. Springboard 450 by Swerve to both on the floor, and then he has a face-off with Billy Gunn, and when the referee's back is turned, it leads to a famouser, and Lee gets drop kicked to the ramp, Mike drop is hit, and Lee is too late to make the save, and when this three count is made at 1342, this place erupted. I thought this was the biggest pop on the entire show, and that was saying something. They were a very loud crowd, uh, but this to me was the biggest reaction of the night, as everyone expected. I I don't think this came close to their pay-per-view match, but the reaction, they felt like absolute superstars winning these tag titles, and they had the confetti celebration, and yeah, they're... Their biggest uh, positioning since coming to AEW, like this was mm-hmm. their biggest uh, presentation, I would say. Not their best match, but um, still, mm-hmm. it was um, to me. It was the, the the pop was much more important than just having yeah. a great match with a with a good crowd reaction. All that mattered tonight. Obviously, they couldn't have had a shitty match, but I, I would say yeah, the, the most the one requirement. This the rest of the show could have been like really awful but like or could have been great i I should say but if the acclaim did not win you would have been hearing about that you know for for the rest of at least the next two weeks you know like this this had to have been the one result that needed to occur tonight because this much of this crowd paying to see tickets like this was the top thing that they wanted to see like by the way like apparently great turnout for uh davies uh pre-party all those guys bought acclaim shirts and they were all like everybody was they were all dressed up in acclaim shirts heading to the show. I, I wonder like, how high they're up on in terms of AEW merch sellers. Mm-hmm. Like I oh, would imagine they've got to be top three at this point, top four. I, you know, maybe, maybe Scrump can can let us know about, about that. Or maybe we'll just go to the website and check that out ourselves. But um I'm in agreement though that the all out match was was better, but it was a setting in the atmosphere of this one that 
and the size, obviously, you know, that that made it feel bigger and special and the win, of course, making it, you know, so much more worthwhile in the overall story. Um, they, you know, have to, had to, they went the route of like adding some shenanigans in the back or at the end with like Billy Gunn doing the famous or leading to the finish, I suppose to justify and to protect Swerve and Lee, you would assume leading to a third match, uh, at, at some point in the near future. I don't get mad at that. Um, I think it's kind of necessary in, in some ways to, you know, leave enough interest for a third match. Well, the, despite what, uh, the lineup was for tonight's dynamite, they do have battle of the belts in two weeks. <laughs> Hmm. Interesting. I know. I mean, this feels like it's too big of a match to put on Battle of the Belts, which I'm sorry. Like well, that, that, that right there tells you the problem with Battle of the Belts when you think yeah. this match is too big for what people look as just the second hour of Rampage. Yeah, it's it, it feels less important than Rampage um, on, by this point. But they've like what a what a what a success story like the acclaimed has been for AEW, you know, like. Unlike the Bucks, unlike, you know, Page and Omega, unlike the Lucha Brothers, like they are every bit an AEW original tag team put together. This was just Tony's idea. He just thought these two will work well together and had the idea of the acclaimed. Like this was Mm -hmm. totally out of his brain. It wasn't like something brought to him. It was just an organic idea they had. And, you know, it was like they they had a nice act going. The rap thing typically got over. But it to me was it was like the scissoring and Billy Gunn that was like like Billy Gunn is part of this. Like I I totally. think Billy Gunn was like the finishing touch that brought this thing into just something really everything clicked. With, with, like Billy Gunn plays a role here, even though it seems like an odd fit. Like he completes this act. I do uh, completely agree. They were already a good act, but. The the scissoring like was there is their suck it that really took them over the edge. You know, you you add like it's their um, too sweet. You know, that really takes, I think, a good tag team to to being a tag team that you just can't get out of your head because everybody wants to scissor. Um, and they've they've just created some incredible momentum. And, you know, let's 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 give the credit before he complained to Swerve and Lee, who. Uh, have advanced, I would say, just as much, you know, um, throughout this entire program and they themselves, what they've got going on right now, whereas before I think I, I was maybe a little bit muddied, I'm now really interested because throughout all of this, they've, you know, definitely leaned towards, towards more of the heel direction. But you, Keith Lee's still very much like, you know, there's plausible deniability in his heelness. He's still very much like a baby face that's just kind of in this role, whereas Swerve is still very much, at this point, is very much like, feels like he's a deliberate heel. Yeah, I mean, you could go the breakup route, but I, I, I think for sure there's a third match to do. I would, I would do that. I really like Swerve and Lee as a tag team. I, I feel they're, um, you know, before the, I think that these acclaim, this acclaim program is what this tag title, uh, run is going to be remembered for. But I think they had a very underrated run when you go back and look at the consistency they had with their tag title matches. Um, the, the match with Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus that was so late on that pay per view, like just a super long pay per view. And they went out and killed that, that mm-hmm. late in the show. Like they were guys that just, they had a very, like a consistency about them that they could get over in any position. And I, I think, like this was a really nice tag title run that the two had. I, I would say ninety percent of the tag teams, like in AEW, I, I don't think you can like you know in ring that they can bring the quality. But it, it was more so I think the storytelling and really the airtime and the character that was really missing for them. And this acclaimed feud has given it to them. So I think they're just getting started. I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up winning the titles back if they do end up doing a third match between them. So uh, there's still a whole lot more uh, story to tell with those two. 
Yeah, the uh, the acclaimed and Billy, they scissored in the ring. Swerve is just in shock watching as he's walking up the ramp. And Keith Lee just looked like he was he was more sad than Daniel Garcia was earlier. I mean, he just looked so <laughs> heartbroken at this loss. And they did not leave together, but um, certainly there will be follow-up. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you... Well, thank you. Lexi Nair is with FTR, and they congratulate the acclaimed, but note that they have been number one contender since April, and it's it's time for them to cash in when they are interrupted by Colton and Austin Gunn, who just make fun of them always complaining and using FT, are you ever going to be on TV anytime soon? And they go on to say they're more talented, handsome, and younger FTRs. And then they say, top guys out, and kind of just made FTR look like goofs here because they had no comeback and they just cut at the end here with like the guns getting like the last word here. And that's fine because you I mean, you want to establish the, the feud like the, the, the heels should get, be the dominant ones this time around. Um, I really actually think they're fantastic heel personalities. I mean, they too throughout all of this. Let's give them credit for the acclaims rise. You know, they were, I think, a very a huge part of their success, this whole success as well. And and it seems like they're doing pretty well advancing into essentially what was FTR's role being MJF's tag team. So I think this feud makes a whole lot of sense. You know, MJF's new tag team versus his old tag team. So is it going to be, I, I guess, the gun club? They what did they get a shot at either of these tag titles? I'm guessing it'll be like FTR maybe defeating the gun club on route to challenging for the tag team championships, perhaps. Like I'm guessing this is the the last obstacle that maybe FTR will face before challenging for the titles. Yeah, perhaps. Um FTR they they've been very um not focused upon uh mm-hmm. of late. So this at least gets them some kind of uh program going on. Shivani is out in 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 the arena with Wheeler Yuta and he is asked about tonight's main event between Danielson and Moxley but before he can give his prediction MJF comes out and the reaction he got, this was the most popular man in Queens on Wednesday night. He mm. comes out to a hero's welcome and he refers to them as questionable Queens. The devil has arrived and giant chance of MJF. And he calls them his devil worshipers. And Tony Schiavone, you fat old prick. He says that jo- Wheeler Yuta will never receive a reaction like that because I'm a god to these people. They would drink my spit if they could. No man in this arena wouldn't let me sleep with their wife. And the only reason I wouldn't is because I have standards. And this crowd is just like, they're, they're just loving this. Like this guy can just say anything and they're, they're all behind it. Yuda, Yuda was in the unenviable situation of having to play like, uh, do a comeback promo on MJF. Oh, yeah. Oh. The most unenviable spot on the entire show. I bet. I just, yeah. I, I couldn't believe they they put him in the spot like mm-hmm. in all if, if if all things were equal it was like it sounded fine for a wheeler you to promo to be quite honest but coming off of mjf it just felt like in his he, hometown 
here's here's the best promo they've got in the company, and here's a guy that literally was like trying to play wrestler who can talk. Like it felt like a caricature. He says, yeah. I that you are a generational talent, but you have more catchphrases than friends. It's like more catchphrases than friends? That's that was where we went with. Um, it probably took a while to come up with that one too. Yeah, no, like, what are you going to say to MJF to really kind of like, you know, do better? Like it's, it's, it's okay. It's, okay. it's fine. And MJF is the king of the low hanging fruit and the crowd starts booing Wheeler Yuta and brings up MJF's recent engagement and says, maybe your fiance is smart and learn that you're a piece of garbage and will walk out on you just like you walked out on us. And MJF retorts, congratulating Yuta from evolving from dry paint to a pet rock personality, calls the BCC the Blackpool Cuckold Club, and that they are fighting to lose the title to him, being Moxley and Danielson. And he says the advice that you can get from your teammates, Danielson can tell you how to be injury prone and turn his brains into scrambled eggs. John Moxley you don't need to go to him for any advice because he has nothing to offer. And Regal can teach you how to pop pills. And Yuta strikes MJF at this insult. And MJF strikes back. And then he knocks down Tony Schiavone. And it was when Tony gets hit that this crowd finally turned on MJF, um, mm-hmm. which was actually like the saving grace of this to try and get this to a a heel reaction for MJF because they were all behind MJF against Yuta. So Yuta fires back and then W Morrissey, who was called W Morrissey by Taz appears and chokes out Yuta and he gets dropped with MJF's dynamite diamond ring to end the segment. But just laying this one out, this was a really tough position to put Wheeler Yuta in. Um, No doubt. They had a lot of faith in um, this this audience backing him by the end, and the ace up their sleeve was Tony Schiavone in this segment. Yeah, they threw Yuta out there in the deepest of waters, promo wise. You know, you're talking about a wrestler who is great in ring, but like I think we all can say is still very much developing on the microphone. Um, with that being the weakest part of his aspect uh, of, of his game, and um, they put him against MJF on the mic in, in front of his hometown crowd. Uh, I definitely feel like, though, he I would say he survived, you know, he got into some strong emotion towards the end and the physicality, I think, you know, was definitely enough to like uh, make this. I think it was like a successful experience for Wheeler Yuta, you know, like he he didn't get like embarrassed. Um, And the Shivani shove, I thought was really quite brilliant for whoever came up with it. You know, it, it was the one thing that I think they were banking on for this crowd to turn on MJF and they, they absolutely did. So in a weird way, if you want to use the analogy of a wrestling match to a promo, mm-hmm. this was sort of like Yuta coming up against John Moxley. I yeah. wouldn't say this is the first match where he gets blown out in seconds. It definitely was not the culminating match where he took the fight to Moxley and bled. This yeah. was sort of in the middle where he got soundly destroyed, but, um, you also saw for for Wheeler Yuta, this was one of his better, I think, promos. It's just yep. it was off of MJF where you're just going to like that's such an impossible position to be in, especially a a babyface reaction for a heel promo from it, MJF. It would have been impossible for most people. Like it would have been tough for Claudio Castagnoli. I think it would have been tough for Brian Danielson. 
So for like what I'm looking for, and I imagine what people in the back are are looking for in a Wheeler Yuta performance in this instance, can he maintain his, his composure? Can he, you know, go on and deliver like you know what what is what is written for him or, or what he's come up with? Can he? And and he did more than that. Like he got into like a level of emotion that I, I thought actually sounded very authentic and and strong for for his level. So I have to imagine like people would have been impressed by by the way he held himself together. And if this leads to a match, which it should, and mm-hmm. and you have MJF like you know cowering and he's like getting out wrestled by this guy, it's like it gives you okay. I got outshined in your arena and in the ring. It's it's kind of Yuta's world. Um, yeah, totally. that Yuta can still lose that match, but as long as it's MJF, you know, being threatened and in danger by Yuta, I think overall, like that's a that's a net gain for Yuta. So coming off of this, like you know, Shivani w- was back on commentary and he was making mention of like t- um, uh, either uh, what MJF being punished somehow, like, whether it be fined or like I, I guess it wouldn't be a suspension. I think he sh- he said he would be fined, which I guess means nothing really in wrestling. Um, yeah, there I guess no investigation. Hmm. Okay. Right. So from this attack on Shivani, we go to a taped Shivani segment from earlier in the day, which they did note uh, with Jade Cargill and the baddies and Diamante brings in her secret weapon. The baddest bitch from the 305 Trina makes her AEW debut on Friday. Yeah. Again, uh, apologies of like, you know, like people still consider like Trina a, a relevant uh, rapper, but like, I just, I don't think any uh, this became such a surprise because I don't think anybody like we, we are going point. off of Tony Khan's Napster playlist. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't know if many people saw the point or uh, of like, you know, introducing a a fabulous or a Trina like into a 2022, you know, professor wrestling TV show. But sh- I I mean I, I I'm sure it was it was kind of cool, you know. <laughs> like Ashton Bronson means to me a whole lot more to me. Like he's a much more relevant name than, than any of these other ones. But um, I, I don't know. It's something like <laughs> it made me look great. So sure. <laughs> Pack against Orange Cassidy a rematch from the Revolution 2020 pay-per-view that they brought up in commentary that that was kind of a turning point for a lot of Orange Cassidy skeptics early on in AEW's run that weren't as as much sold on him. So this time around, it's for the All-Atlantic Championship. And Pac gets uh, frustrated early on, uh, rolling to the floor after an attempt at an orange punch, uh, but then takes over after posting Cassidy, and he hits a Fosbury flop that was more like this twisting hip attack because there was there was no catching there was no like chest to chest here it looked like pack would just like flew over top of this guy the top and, of his knee kind of grazed his head i mean yeah. it looked kind of rough you know honestly, <laughs> like taking yeah. a knee like that so Cassidy is just getting beaten down but he put his, puts his thumbs up and he continues to upset pack and it's kind of getting him into this like angering pack so that he's going to be make a a mistake out of out of frustration so he goes for the black arrow but orange cassidy rolls away so he german suplexes him goes again for the black arrow and this time cassidy just lifts up his feet and had some great core strength here to keep his feet up for, for this long and pack had to give up on the black arrow he was not gonna he was not gonna chance it and just try to angle his way to the chest nor just like you know jump down to stomp the guy in his head but i i like it i like the sort of like you know stuff for orange cassidy like they've done a great job of taking an independent wrestling meme meme gimmick and and translate it giving it like justification for 
why it might work in an actual sports like contest and it's mind games. You know, it's like, it's, 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 you know, maybe what a UFC fighter would do when they're showboating and dancing, for instance. Um, and it especially works. <laughs> I, I don't know if this match was MMA inspired. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. I'm just saying in a wrestling context, I could buy it. And it especially works because underneath the comedy, Orange Cassidy is such an amazing wrestler and he'll always follow up, whether it be the lazy kicks or a, a spot like this with some incredibly dazzling, like, really athletic incredible professional wrestling he's he's nick diaz where he just he would talk all that shit to his opponents mm-hmm. that would just so upset them that yeah. they would get out of their rhythm and then diaz would just pour it on that's it yeah they, they they've really cracked it so maybe they'll do the same with the the, uh, the pizza luigi primo <laughs> they'll give like real world justification for why the guy is plays with pizza <laughs> in the match so uh Super Mario then gets the star, and we get Stun Dog Millionaire, Tope Suicida, Diving DDT. It's just Orange Cassidy just fired up, uh, just picking up the intensity. Pac then catches him and snaps Cassidy to the mat, goes for the Brutalizer, but it's countered. Orange Punch, Pac uh, grabs onto the rope, and then he rolls out to the floor to the timekeeper's table and grabs the hammer for the ring bell. Cassidy goes after him and he gets drilled with the hammer and Bryce Remsburg. Um, if the gimmick is he's blind, then this is the time to tell that story because I didn't understand how Bryce misses this. Did he see it? Was he? I didn't see. There was no ref position. bump. There was no distraction. They went to the floor. He's looking in their direction and he just never sees the hammer. Was it concealed, though? Like Pac in, was in hiding hand. it. Yeah. But to me, it was this one. This one was a little annoying because we had had weapon spots in the previous two matches. And then in this one, to me, when the referee is looking in your direction and here we have the camera, we're looking at it close up. I just feel like I, I was just kind of done with the with the weapons by by this point. And and this is the end. This is he rolls them in and just pins them in I, 12 minutes and 24 seconds. I, I admittedly wasn't watching like Bryce's position close enough to like have any sort of judgment there, but I, I they needed a heel spot here because this was this was a heel turn, you know, and, and this was significant because it was Pac who has prided himself, especially on being like a great pure professional wrestler. To my knowledge, like I'm, I'm trying to remember even when he was actually a heel in AEW, if he actually went the cheating route at all. Like this felt significant because it was Pac, like the wrestler's wrestler using a weapon to get out of a match against a gimmicky wrestler that he couldn't beat with professional wrestling. So I, I think they needed the cheating, at least for this one. I'm not going to say maybe for the prior matches that they needed it, but um, I think Pac also needs like, it, it's a good direction for Pac because I think he needs something fresh. He needs some plot and you need really need some character definition. Um, I, I would argue, like if this was, if that's the story you're, you're going with, then I think you do have to make decisions in this. Like, Jericho did not need the bat. Like that bat spot to me meant nothing in that ROH title match. The boombox spot, you could argue, um, that that led to a big near fall. I just think the totality of three of them in straight matches, it's just, I think sometimes you have to be, um, it's addition by subtraction. Yeah. It it doesn't bother me as much, just like as long as like there's a point to it. But I can see that your frustration, especially like you know when AEW has kind of you know prided itself on like not doing too many bullshit things. This was though an instance of like a bullshit finish that I felt like you know truly did have a point. This one had a point. I think the handling of Bryce could have been a bit better to get mm-hmm. there, but nonetheless, so, it, it was a, it was a very good match though. Um, so what does it mean is- for the Death Triangle? Are they all healed now? I mean, with Pack, it's like he's this 
he's this moody asshole, but I see what you mean. Like it's like the story he's here is cheated. that exactly. It's like he he got frustrated against a wrestler that he believed he was above, and he mm-hmm. had to resort to the, these tactics to uh, to to win. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know what this means for uh, the Lucha Brothers. Um, I would not be. <laughs> Phoenix might be the last guy I would consider turning in, into a heel on this roster. And they're the trios champs. Uh, they so are, yes. They're not going to break up. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interim women's championship was next. Tony Storm, Britt Baker, Serena Deeb, and Athena. Uh, Athena came out wearing this. Uh, I think this was on Vince McMahon's wall in his office prior. <laughs> she she got, this in the, in, she got this in the rummage sale. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, we start off um, early on. There's a Tower of Doom spot with uh, Tony taking the superplex portion of it. For the Canadian viewers out there that are not watching on TSN2, you missed one of the worst commercials I've ever seen in my life for Auto Trader. It is like the worst acted commercial I, I can imagine. It's, it's awful. Me. I can't. It's just bad. It's just like it's a terribly acted ad that just feels like we had nobody else to shoot this ad with. That's hmm. all that that's my only observation I have. So for Canadian viewers, you can look for it because guaranteed these ads that TSN two runs, we will see a hundred of these over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, spinning neck breakers, uh, first from Baker, then later Deeb hit one. There was also a dragon screw to Athena. Uh, Deeb locked on the serenity lock, but Baker broke that up with a super kick. And then Athena has Britt Baker on her back and Deeb runs at her and she catches Deeb. So she goes to throw both of them and she comes down and like nearly crushed Baker's head. And I thought, Oh, oh dude, this was it. This was, this the, was uh, the spot. Nose. Yeah. Okay. This was the spot at first. I thought she was concussed because it looked like wow. this nasty landing on her head. And then you see her and her nose is busted open. So it looks like, I mean, geez, oh. a broken nose versus a concussion. Like, I, I mean, concussion you really don't want to well, be we uh, don't we don't know about like the, if there's any head trauma like we would it, it could have been like it, when you go back and watch this like her head was in a really bad spot when athena came down like it just looked terrible so who who knows what the uh what the prognosis will be but, but this was we saw top dollar do a similar spot um on they friday. just did this on friday you're right this was yeah. the top top dollar did it with three of them mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah this was very much the, the same idea so Baker is off into the corner. You can see something is wrong. The referee is tending to her, and you can see her busted up nose. And the announcers are immediately conjuring up the uh, the image of Britt Baker injuring her nose in the past. And when you rack up the injuries that this woman has had in in some of her matches, it's uh, like you know from the wrist, the nose, nose no again. Doubt, no doubt, it's concerning. But you also know that in Britt Baker's mind, she's thinking. T-shirt. Awesome. Yeah. How do I take advantage of this? Because the, the last time this happened, like I would say that to me, that was the turning point in her AEW, in her professional wrestling career. We we will remember the image of her bloody nose forever, you know, when we're talking about Britt Baker. And I thought like the wheels were immediately in motion in her mind on how she could use this. Well, Athena does this cool slingshot off the top rope into this uh, the double knees onto Tony Storm, which looked really cool. Deeb is sent to the floor, and then it's a tornado DDT by Storm to Athena, and Baker comes back, kicking her in the shin, goes for the crucifix, but Storm counters with her own crucifix, pinning Baker in 949 to retain the interim championship. I thought it was a really entertaining sprint. 
they never let up the pace for the entire duration, including during these commercials, even the auto trader commercial. Nobody, they didn't stop. They didn't stop to let us focus on the auto trader commercial. Um, I think as is often the case with like um, the AEW women's division, it, it wasn't without really with it, with the wrestling in general. It wasn't without blemishes. It felt like there were times where the speed was kind of traded in for the expense of like a bit of tightness in, in the wrestling. But I, I was engaged and entertained throughout it all. And it felt like it very much like, you know, uh, w- w- like belonged on this like very high caliber work rate show. Yeah, th- I mean, th- this felt like, you know, it-, it felt like five big matches on this show, mm-hmm. like to your takeover analogy, like every match had its its role on th- the show. Um, so Tony Storm retains, but I would say the big takeaway was just hopefully Baker is OK, because it just looked like a really ugly landing. Yeah. So but she, she I mean, she finished the match and did all the post-match stuff. So, I mean, that would that would seem like at least, um, you know, if you were concerned about like a, a concussion, um I would hope that they would not be allowing her to continue this. So hopefully it's just the nose. So she attacks Tony Storm to booze until Jamie Hayter runs down and she looks at Britt Baker and then they join in on the attack. And this is where um, our argument last week, I, I think I defer to you on this one because I, th- this was one too many of the uh, are they going to or are they not? And then they join in together. I was extremely disappointed by this in uh, because like, I'm not disappointed by like this night alone, but it's it's more so the, the fact that they've already done this. Like they they've done the are they friends or aren't they friends thing with with Hater and and uh, uh, Baker. Like I think months passed or years, maybe a year passed. I don't know, but it felt like this time around was when Hater was actually gaining you know babyface momentum, and that's really difficult to come by, especially if you're a woman's wrestler in AEW, and to just have it be squandered back into. Haha, ha, gotcha, guys. She's actually still with Britt Baker. To me, it's just like it, it, it signals that Hater is still back in a sidekick role rather than, you know, a principal role herself. And I also worry that the next time you try this, the audience isn't going to care anymore. Um, yeah. So I was disappointed. Yeah. I mean, historically, sometimes like this, like this can be an effective way where you tease it and you tease it and you make the audience really want it. But you know, you just did this last week and then you do it again. And th- this one felt like, um, to be quite honest, I would say if you're going in this direction that you are going to do the breakup, I don't think I would have even involved Hater here. Like if you're going to do yeah. Soraya with Baker, mm-hmm. Jamie Hater didn't need to be an afterthought in this segment. You could have withheld her from this entire segment if that's the direction or if Soraya coming in has paused all of that direction, which would be unfortunate yeah. because you've been putting a lot of stock into this buildup. Yeah, yeah. And that that remains a question. That was kind of my immediate reaction was like, you know, was was Soraya always going to be a part of this? And did her coming in affect whatever they were going to do with Jamie Hayter as a baby face? I don't think that's that's a good excuse, quite frankly, because like you, you know, you're you're basically taking another WWE star and giving her the role that you were going to give to somebody that, you know, was an AEW um, non-WWE wrestler. Um, I, I really don't think that would be the case where that's just dropped cold because of um because of this, um, I, I couldn't imagine this being, um, you know, that uh, affecting things to that but degree. What was but honestly we'll the point? What was honestly the point of everything involving Jamie Hader and Baker? Well, if again, all we're going back to is just this. Well, I, I guess it's again. I, I don't think she needed to be part of this uh, segment. I guess they could argue that you know Jamie Hader is is part of this Baker story that they want to have them linked here for like, whenever they do this. But it's getting a little convoluted now. I would have just simply kept her. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I, it, it, fine. Even if Sarai is coming in, I would have kept her out of the segment, or I would have had Hater get beaten down, and then Sarai can come in, and then you, you know, you team those two together. That's... I just wanted to see like Jamie Hater evolve and advance into a different role than being the sidekick to Britt Baker, and this feels like it's reverted back to that. So they deliver the stomp to Athena. Deeb also joins in on the attack with Baker and Hater. And as Baker puts on the glove, that's when the music plays and Soraya makes her arrival in AEW to a thunderous pop. Um, comes out, the ring clears, and they really let this sit. It wasn't just she comes out, boom, we cut. It was everyone reacting to her. It was a gigantic reaction. I think this and the acclaimed were, were the big two um, moments on the show when it came to the loudest, the crowd got and it would certainly lead you to believe with the uh, the all elite graphic that uh, not only is Sor- uh, Soraya coming in but that she's going to wrestle which she has not done in five years it'd be quite disappointing if she was simply signed to i don't know like a general manager's con by the way uh, like AEW has signed like i think four of like the last five five <laughs> Or three of the last four, I think, um, SmackDown gen- official SmackDown general managers and yeah, people were, were joking. They pretty much signed Vicky. like WWE backstage as well, minus Renee. Yeah, there you go. So, um, but yeah, it's it, it would be disappointing if she was simply coming in as like a speaking role and, and and not wrestling because I think that's what everybody is is you know looking forward to. Um, it's a big deal. It's it's not only arguably the biggest name that they've ever signed to the women's division, um, at least on a mainstream level. Um, She's also somebody who hasn't wrestled due to injury in, in such a long time. So you could promote several of those things. Um, does it mean she's healthy and she's cleared? I, I'm sure we'll find out in the days to come. Um, it, it, do you think – how big of a difference maker do you think Paige Soraya is to AEW? I think that she I, – I, th- I think it's a if, – if she's cleared and she can go, I, I think it's a big star to add to your women's division. Um I don't think this is like a Sasha Banks level, but I don't mm-hmm. know how many women you could really put at that level. They're very few and they're under contract uh, elsewhere. So I think it's a, it's a very sizable one for them. Like it's, it's a big star for this division. You have the, the intrigue of seeing her wrestle. And again, like I, I hope, like not all neck injuries are equal. So when we have seen other people come back, it doesn't mean like this is just a catch all that anyone who has had, you know, neck injuries, it's just there's a magic healing to it. So I, I would really hope that she is uh if she if she's cleared, like it's that she's okay to go. Because if she is healthy, like she is young enough that it's you know, she and she hasn't wrestled for five years. I mean, that that's a great addition for your women's division. It's a great opponent for Britt Baker. It's a great opponent for a lot of people. And she's someone that has a lot of experience on television. She's a great talker mm-hmm. and people are very familiar with her. And she brings a, you know, like, yes, she's not necessarily Sasha Banks, but she does bring a whole different audience to, you know, uh, watching AEW. Like, she's she's a big success on Twitch. She had a movie made out of, about her starring, you know, Florence Pugh, you know, for crying out loud. So um, I'm sure she doesn't come cheap, especially, you know, given the Fightful report that WWE was also interested. Um, but I do think she's a worthy investment for this division, you know, uh, especially now that the Sasha conversation has kind of died down. I mean, I don't know how much, you know, credibility there was even to any of that to begin with. So following that was a video with Darby Allen uh, dragging a body bag uh, with somebody in it uh, through the subway down a street and then hailing a cab stating he's heading to a funeral at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Mm-hmm. Imagine riding the subway here and then seeing 
Darby Allen with a body bag. Yeah, what does it take for someone on a New York subway system to alert the authorities? (laughs) Yeah, probably a lot. Yeah, this probably would have just been any other day. They ran down Rampage. Not going to go through all the matches here because we've done that already. But the Golden Ticket Battle Royal, they listed Evil Uno, Preston Vance, Roosh, Jay Lethal, Lance Archer, who, I mean, talk about like nothing since G1. Like, yeah. So he's yeah, back. Yeah, no, I mean, it's coming out of the G1 or even for you to coming out of the best of the Super Juniors. It's not exactly like a big deal was made out of any of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Penta, Hangman, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. So obviously his ankle injury is, enough, is healed enough that he'll be in that battle royal. And then adding the lights out stipulation to Hobbs and Starks. Main event is John Moxley and Brian Danielson, the finals of the Tournament of Champions. William Regal is on commentary, and it felt like this idea of Regal being on commentary for all the BCC matches, it was all a lead up to this moment, this match, because he was awesome. He's mm-hmm. talking about how each of them knows each other's holds, and more importantly, the counters to each of their holds, and he put over the significance, like, this is the mountaintop that you work for in AEW, to be in the spot that these two men are in to become the champion i thought he was excellent here i completely agreed he's always excellent but you know the, when he has even more story to like bite into and here he had to basically kind of play dad watching his two children you know fight and compete with each other for the for the top prize for daddy's affection yes and, uh, he was great at like being emotionally torn yeah so they have a shot of mjf in a private box on like the second deck with his chip and he had the they, whole area to himself like yeah, he was not around uh, the the simple the simpletons. He was not going to be among yeah. the fans. My question would be, if he wanted to cash this chip in, what was his plan to get to that ring in time? So we still don't don't exactly know about like the the properties of this chip. Like, is it like a money in the bank where you can cash in at any moment? They certainly wanted you to think that because they cut away to him about five hundred times during this match. Right. Was that so much the idea or was it just to simply draw association to like him he getting t- the champion? He tweeted out at the beginning like something like perfect, murder each other. Like the idea like kill each other and then you're left laying for me. So that's that's how okay. they, they have not flat out stated that with the chip, but this was totally designed to give you the idea. He was that asked, he, I believe, like didn't Ariel ask or, or one of the interviewers? One asked of the him. interviews that came up like and yeah. – it might have been wrestling, um, but um, yeah, he was asked, and like you know, MJF was pretty kind of like non-committal, I would say, to the answer. Well, I think it's still a, like a decision they're maybe holding back on. Well, they, they were certainly pushing it in that direction. Like that was his whole mm-hmm. purpose of being out here. So well, he's probably a fast runner. Mm. So he's he, he's there, and it starts off, and this is just. The kind of match you would expect out of Danielson and Moxley. It's super aggressive. Danielson is slapping Moxley to try and upset him, and then Mox fires back. Just brutal strikes from the two of them. German suplex by Danielson onto the apron, and we get a, a callback of Danielson as he's being counted by Paul Turner and tells him, I have until five. And they continue on. Moxley uh, claws the back of Danielson with his nails. That's just back rake. disgusting. You know, the fingernails are like the, they'd say the fingernails are like the dirtiest part of your body. Oh yeah. Imagine like a man's dead skin and under your nails. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a different commitment to the arts. Danielson slips under, crotches Moxley, belly to back off at the top, but then Moxley tries to get on the label lock, and this is when Danielson turns into Moxley's guard, and they do dual headstands as they trade uh, with one another. 
Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it's cool. I think we've seen like this happen, but like I never really expected it in like what what at this point was sort of like a pretty all out brawl. Like they they were able to work such a graceful balancing act in the middle of it. Cattle mutilation is applied, but Moxley turns. This is where Regal is explaining how they know counters to each other's holds that they can get out of. And Danielson lands a head kick, but they note he pivoted the ankle that he had injured previously. And this was like the CM Punk spot with, with Moxley, where the ankle turns after the roundhouse kick. And Moxley goes after the, the Achilles, and he starts stomping it. And Excalibur notes... He's stomping the Achilles, Regal. That's one of the taboos in wrestling. And Regal's like, I know, I know, but uh, there's nothing we can stop him from. The, the, the taboos of wrestling way, you don't stomp a man's Achilles. You don't do that. I, I had no idea. Yeah, now you know. So Danielson, uh, this was after Bosaiku knee for a near fall. The audience is, is really into this. And then Moxley picks the ankle and attacks the, the Achilles. Hits the Death Rider, huge near fall, and then Danielson holds onto the wrist, flips him over, he's stomping, they end up in a 50-50 guard, and Danielson gets up, applies the triangle, rolls to the label lock, and there's a rope break, and they go to the stage where a Death Rider is hit, and Danielson rolls into the ring, another near fall, and Moxley applies the rear naked choke, and Danielson has one last uh, effort by kicking off of the turnbuckle, but Moxley holds on to the choke, smothers the back. And Danielson goes out in 19 minutes and 28 seconds. So John Moxley is now a three-time AEW champion. So the so he was did are we counting the interim one from uh, before? Well, he won. He had the first one, and then yeah. he beat Punk on TV to become a second. That was the undisputed versus interim title. Oh, you're right. Yeah, the, the quick, uh, the, 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 the two-minute one. Right. Okay, yeah. wow, three-time champion. Yeah, it's for that reason that this finish really came as a bit of a surprise for me. I thought for sure they would give it to Brian, like, if anything, maybe as a bit of a surrogate in terms of star power for us, seeing Puck that's out going. Also because I thought, you know, John Moxley really deserves to go fishing by this point, and it, it's clear he's, he's going to have to delay that fishing vacation uh, just a little bit longer. But... I think the clear direction coming out of this is is Mox MJF, of course, which Clearly. they've already been setting up. I just thought they would do it like non-title, um, with MJF like challenging for the title later. But you know, it makes all the sense in the world. So maybe coming out of this, like these these the, the replacement for CM Punk leading this company might not necessarily be uh, Brian, might not necessarily be Mox. Even it might actually be MJF. They they just might be going into that like way sooner than we expected. Yeah, I mean, I I can't. I, I thought. There's no wrong choice of where you, you go with, mm-hmm. the, with Moxley or Danielson. Um, I, I thought like Danielson winning this would be like all these opponents you can do. And it's like, it, it's two strong matches you'd have on top of full gear because Moxley and MJF, like you don't need the title, but it's stronger with the title. So go with that if that's the, the, the bigger, uh, promotion for the pay per view. And yeah, at the end of this as well, it was like Regal was in and Danielson was almost like, um, like not quite protesting the finish, but you could see he was like having words with Regal. So I don't know what um, the follow up to that was, but it was almost like when someone gets submitted and then they have no idea what happened. I thought that's mm-hmm. maybe what he was trying to that's, convey. Uh, what I think he's going for, like it's not, it's not like the Brian character unless he's turning to like complain about like a, a bad result. But this was not. This was about as definitive as it gets. Yeah, I I think simply. being it's Brian Danielson and and John Moxley laying this out, I would think like those two would lean towards that kind of uh you know where the guy's out and then he has no idea what happened and he's just you know getting his bearings. So, yeah, I, I thought I would, this was I, I I thought it was a really really strong main event. This to me was uh it was my match of the show. 
Um, it's hard for me to decide because I thought like the the opener was really strong too. Um, and I think, think in terms of a moment, you know, like Swerve in Our Glory versus the Claim, like might have been the standout. So I think that's a really good sign when you're talking about a show with like you know like several contenders for like moment of the night at least. But it, this was absolutely like I think a very worthy main event, a beautiful pro wrestling match, exhaustive, hard hitting. You had everything you know in, in between like star power um, between two arguably your two top guys in the company and the biggest stakes involved, you know, with the championship. Uh, it was hard hitting yet technical and full of really strong psychology. It's the type of match that I imagine like somebody can go back to afterwards, like years from now and be able to grab even more from. So it was just like a really strong quality end to like a really high quality TV show. Um, I'd go as far as to say like I, I might even prefer AEW in this format, you know, two hours, all killer, no filler, rather than like, you know, like a seven hour uh, marathon like this, this as, as a consumption um, experience. Like, I love this edition of Dynamite. Do you think that that's one of the limitations of Battle of the Belts and even to a degree Rampage? Like, I know we're, we're kind of making a reverse argument here of having more, but how do you feel AEW formats a one hour show? Like, is it? Is it too hard? Right. In terms of a big, like, let's, 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 let's skip rampage. Like for battle of the belts, it's Mm -hmm. only four times a year. So you want to make that feel special. Can you do a special show that is limited to 60 minutes for AEW? I think, I think the answer is yes, John. Um, And I think you have to really center it around a really strong main event and maybe have it be a two match show. In some cases, if the if the main event is hot enough, maybe have it be a one match show, and you can have your opening segment be I don't know some sort of surprise or like a big promo segment. But or, like, or you just do like the old school thing where you you announce two or three matches, but then the match goes long, and you just explain that due to television time, the other two aren't going to happen, and your audience, you know, you give them a great match, and you make it feel real that. You can't get to the other two matches. Well, unfortunately, if you do that, like you're going to get a lot of people upset, especially if it's like, you know, let's say it's a women's match uh, or like anybody like, you know, you're going to be have people complaining about that person getting cut off. And those two matches uh, like have to look kind of shitty on paper, you know, for people to not leave uh, dissatisfied. Um, But I think ultimately, like what we're missing from like a battle of the belts is strong promotion. And I'm talking about like weeks of build of story to lead up to a match that actually settles a grudge that people will have to tune in specifically to watch. And, you know, just given that I think the importance of dynamite remaining like a big ratings ratings um, thing and also their pay-per-views, I wonder if we'll ever get that, you know, like it almost feels like you can't, you can't devote so much TV time just for battle of the belts. Yeah. I mean, just looking at it like battle of the belts, the first one was Britt Baker and Riho for the women's title. Second one was Thunder Rosa and Nyla Rose. And third was a Claudio and Konosuke Takeshita. So, I mean, you see there too, like it's, it's also stars. Like you're not putting your biggest stars onto some, some of these shows. Like Mm -hmm. you, you're kind of telling your audience that like the AEW title is not being defended on these specials and it just becomes tough. Mm -hmm. Like you got another one of these in two weeks. And I imagine there's people listening that are hearing that for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, like, could they do, like, big rematches of, like, you know, let's say, like, a match that was – that ended in somewhat controversial decision? Like, would would you even do that? Like, would you even risk that? Like, like would you I mean, it, it's having a reason for it. It's having matches that feel big. It's also telling people that 
you watch a ton of wrestling every week. What are we going to deliver that makes you want to watch more by the end of it? And, yeah. you know, the, you know, there are people that are just, they're going to watch everything that comes out and battle the belts, like, like rampage. They're good shows. You will enjoy the hour, but it's, there's a ceiling to this style of format of how they've positioned the first three. But should we be realistic though? Like, you know, are we setting expectations too high for what rampage and battle of the belts are ultimately supposed to be? Like there, there are additional sources of revenue for for uh, AEW, and um, like, are they supposed? Do you think they're supposed to be anything more than just supplemental programming to cater to the most hardcore of the of the audience? Well, I mean, in the case of this next one, it's it's a rampage slash battle of the belts taping, and it's the second night in a city. So, because they're doing like Washington Wednesday and Friday, so it's like you're hoping that these supplemental shows are enough that they can stand on their own without piggybacking off of a dynamite. So, I mean, it's I just think it comes down to you know the, the importance of them and Rampage. You can clearly see from the. From the comments that Tony Khan has made, like this is a show that has slipped, that they do want to reinvigorate. And, you know, this not every week is going to be this week, but I think you want to have a happy medium of what the show has become versus an exceptionally bloated week like this week's is where you've got, you know, a, a strong, strong lineup. So there you have it. That was Grand Slam night one from Arthur Ashe Stadium. And should we go into some super chats? Uh we have to go to a like one of the biggest super chats, maybe among the biggest uh, that we've oh, ever dear. received here. JM sends one hundred dollars just to say the ROH title matches on AEW are really just there for me. I've only seen one episode of ROH and don't have a vested interest in the titles. I would have rather seen Starks versus Hobbs or Darby and Sting versus House of Black on live TV as recorded rampages leave a bit desired to me. Thank you so much uh, for an incredible amount um, of, of super chatting, uh, JM. And uh, what, what do you do? You have anything to say, John, about his thoughts? There? I mean, I, I thought that the match came off really well. To me, it was like if you eliminate the ROH title match, I don't think anyone would be complaining about Claudio and Chris Jericho. Like, um, you know, it was a so, hot way to. St- it, it, they're at a place right now where, like, yeah, a lot of people, I'm sure, feel like Jay, where the ROH is really doesn't is kind of meaningless. And I would say, even to me, as somebody who watched ROH, I mean, the, the letters don't mean a ton outside of like nostalgia, and that's why they are promoting it on a superstar. Like, you know, they they have to use the guys to build the belts. And Claudio, I think, achieved a certain level, but I mean, Jericho is really hopefully going to take it to another level. But yeah, if there's a guy you want to hand this. If there's a guy you want to hand this title to and just say run with it and get creative and get this thing over, Jericho is one of those people you would have that that trust in to really you know dedicate himself to trying to get this thing over. Um, but it's like ROH is in a holding pattern until there's some kind of distribution deal. It just feels like it's in this 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 waiting room until we figure out what this is going to be. Is this just going to be a permanent sidebar to AEW? And if a TV deal never comes along, like what are you? Like, does ROH really fit as a sub-brand within AEW? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, maybe it's just it's just pay-per-views, and that's and that's what you do. I mean, it will be curious if they if like Jericho headlines the next ROH pay-per-view. Like, what difference that makes? Like, that is the biggest star that they will have headlining one of these. And you continue to ask the question. You can have Jericho headline an ROH pay-per-view, but if you do the same match on an AEW branded show. 
like you you make automatically so many more buy, like you, you'd earn so many more buys so which Certainly. one do you do instead i i think you know what we're seeing with a roh is just like it, it's tony khan's like long-term vision of having multiple again more sources of revenue you know being able to, to get more tv deals perhaps with another broadcaster um and until that actually happens we're we're just kind of still going to just essentially get another tier of you know world championship right now and is and oh. is he comfortable you know if if a non warner brothers discovery outlet comes along like will he jump on a deal like that because you would think like logically just given this era of content that there would be you know some deal will if you are patient like something should come your way like this is tony khan i think has you know established a pretty a pretty good uh track record at this point 3 years in that if you are a streaming company out there that okay let's we want to get into professional wrestling this is uh a product that we're familiar with and someone that we want to be in business with like would would they be willing to sign a deal with somebody outside cuz tony has seemed like he very much wants this to be all within the warner brothers family and discovery yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it would be ideal for him. You know, he wants to play nice with his bosses and he wants to be able to have like the synergy, I'm sure, between the brands. But if Warner, especially under Zaslav, is not looking for any more professional wrestling, then he will have to entertain other offers. I'm sure. All right. Um, Thank you so much, Jay, for uh, just an incredibly generous amount of support. And uh, you can um ask a question anytime we welcome it thank you so much uh not to be outdone we go to jamie co who at the beginning of the of the broadcast even before we started sends in five dollars just to just to th- just to say for the trina prediction so thank you so much jamie uh i i i i'm happy um uh so many people <laughs> were impressed um but yeah thank you guys uh we go to jm who sends another five dollars who just wants to respond to say but there was enough enjoyable stuff on the episode for me to overshadow that happy to see the acclaimed win and soraya he says you're welcome guys thank you all right um and those of you who are watching you know we 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 don't even ask for super chats anymore we always just kind of appreciate them whenever they come in but if you want to support the channel again uh, we recommend signing up at postwrestlingcafe.com. It's $6 a month on Patreon, $8 a month on YouTube. And for either of those, you get our bonus shows along with us. And if you're not interested in any of that, the least we ask for is for you to hit a like and to hit subscribe just to really help us get our numbers up there. We get a lot of like feedback and a lot of comments about how like, well, you guys do such great content. Why aren't your, your subscribers up? Why aren't your views more up? And you know, it's a really tough competitive like field right now in wrestling, podcasting and wrestling, YouTubing. So if you're enjoying this, this, this stream and, and, and our podcast, we, we can really use all the help that we can get. Let's go over to the feedback from forum.postwrestling.com. We will, uh, Zip through these. Benjamin writes in, The Dynamite opening titles have significantly fewer explosions and smoky business. More like little particle pops. That's quite the observation. ROH title. Sure, why not? Jericho is still the biggest name in AEW, and it's like, and it's likely leading into Claudio or someone else winning at the next pay-per-view, ROH pay-per-view, and you can get Jericho on the card to pop the buys. Uh, good job with the claimed and swerve in our glory. Soraya debuting is cool. Hope she can get used to 9 to 9.30 and no storylines. Poor Jamie Hayter. All out means nothing. I totally don't uh, disagree about, you know, the treatment of Jamie Hayter on this particular show. I mean, I, you know, obviously we still have to always um, open, be open to follow up. Uh, maybe they have a great plan for, 
maybe maybe haters gonna swerve on Baker again, and this will lead to the real breakup, John. Um, but I was disappointed to see it myself, and it's not nine thirty anymore. They are like nine ten. They they moved them around over the last month. Like you've seen some in the first hour, and the time doesn't matter. It's more so about like you know, are they in a prominent position and. I, I don't know like how I feel necessarily about it because I think if you're Tony Khan, like you, it is true that like there's often matches that are higher in terms of star power. Like I wouldn't have necessarily said this four way was bigger than Acclaim versus Swerve in Our Glory, nor Jericho versus Claudio, nor the main event, of course. So I I didn't have an issue with the placement tonight, but maybe on an ongoing basis, yeah, it, it remains a point of contention. Okay, we go up to uh, next Boo Yank, Matthew Boo Yank, who says, I wasn't a big fan of three straight matches ending basically the same way with cheating. Overall, though, a good show with good wrestling. Nice to see Soraya and Mox versus Danielson. Uh, and Danielson was tremendous. Who was that Darby was carrying around? Does Sting sleep in a body bag these days? Um, I guess you tune into Rampage to find out the corpse. If it I'm is guessing a corpse. It's, it's Brody, isn't it? Or, or Malachi? Isn't that the idea? Um, I, I guess we will find out. I don't, I don't know. That's uh, That seems criminal. Let's go up next to Sal from California. Great show overall, but I think I speak for all of us when I say they needed more camera cuts to MJF during the main event. We should have seen his face at all times. Am I right? There were a lot of cuts to MJF. I think they wanted to make they, – they clearly, like this show, you can see the structure of it. Like they are looking at MJF as one of their biggest movers that they want to have um, – I, I think the whole point of that main event was teasing you with the idea of him uh, getting involved. There were certainly a lot of people on my timeline I saw that were expecting MJF to potentially leave with the title. So I think they wanted to lead you in that direction without you know, promising anything or even stating as much of like how this chip works and just hmm. let the audience make that assumption for themselves to uh, keep them even, even more glued to that, that final 20 minutes. Somebody in the chat said uh, Tony Khan said that it could be cashed in. He said so on Barstool's Wrestling. Is is that true? If so, it's something I missed. But- I don't think he used the term cashed in. He said it can be used in on any sanctioned show or something like that. I read it. It was not as clear cut as he can just use it on the fly. Right. Um, but I mean, I certainly took it in this, this segment. Like they wanted you to believe that. We like we want the mystery retained. You know, like the same same reason why. Um, and and it's when contrasted Edge. with this battle royal that they're doing now on Rampage that has a set date and a set mm-hmm. time, which to me differentiates it from this this chip. Yeah, totally. All right. Thank you, Sal from California. We got a Robbie from London, Ontario, who says, Killer show. Can I give it a 25 out of 10? Because that's how much I loved it. Pay-per-view quality on free TV. Can't complain about that. Fantastic. Yes. Tell your calculator. Um, this is how math works with pro wrestling. A 25 out of 10 would just be five, would it not? It's wait, 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 wait. It's a, a 2.5. It'd be 2. a great 5. show. Yes, that's what it is. Brian from New Jersey. Hot, hot show. I wish that the three first three matches didn't end with cheating, and I thought the tag title match. Okay, so the first one, yes, it had the low blow. The second match, I guess, boom what box? was the cheating? The boom box was not the finish. The boom box was Oh, it was, it was famous, sir. The, the, the famous, sir? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess. That was pretty blatant. Yeah. All right. So the, I, 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 I can see the, absolutely the, the complaints, you know, when yeah. you have three. And the third was absolutely with the, with the hammer. I mean, that was a direct finish. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that's uh, – I mean, I brought that up earlier. I, I thought all three of them together, it's like, which, which is the match that needs it the most? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and you can certainly make the argument, like, Jericho has been doing this story of – 
you know, he's doing all these great matches, but he's got to resort to cheating in the end. And it kind of goes against your it's whole the code Daniel of Garcia honor. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, hmm. anyway, uh, he goes on to say, I thought that the tag title match was a far cry from the all out match, but still had that tremendous atmosphere, as did every other match this week. Fantastic main event. I was thinking Danielson could win to freshen up the title scene, but Moxley has proven to be very reliable this year between his run in the summer and recently giving up vacation time. There's never been someone in wrestling that I've seen people have been so rooting on the vacation. He's lost the vacation. (laughs) Give this man whatever he wants. And they've been building to him and MJF since the tournament started. Big debut for Soraya, but I have questions about her health going in. Chris Jericho becomes the 37th ROH World Champion. Uh, great match with Claudio. Daniel Garcia doing the 2005 Batista story. Could Jericho as the champion mean ROH gets its own TV show uh, or asking if that's imminent? Or is it just a method to try for one? Um, I mean, to me, it's uh, unless they've got some some secret deal um, looming. um yeah, like I would certainly we would want to be using Jericho in a prominent position if TV is around the corner. So, um, you know, it, it's it's always possible like a deal could come together. And it's obviously something Tony Khan has been working on for months. So, you know, TV deals are typically very slow. And if he feels something is like it, it could be a, a sign to put it onto Jericho when he feels something is around the corner. I suppose it's going to be like, you know, it'll continue to further speculation, but man, it it says something in the fact that like, we're so not used to like the ROH title being, I don't know, like I suppose like held by somebody of the caliber of a Chris Jericho that the moment, like he, he's given the belt. We, we wonder if like a TV deal is imminent. I I think it could just simply be be because of this Daniel Garcia storyline, you know, and, and them wanting to have, a reason for Jericho to hold the belt, maybe for Garcia to ultimately win, or maybe just to shine a bit more of a light. Maybe Claudio will somehow rematch him. Maybe even, um, it could be that. Um, but yeah, um, could be any of those things. We go to Chris from Ottawa who says, good evening. Several postmarks are in attendance at Arthur Ashe and what a show they're witnessing live tonight, but poor Wheeler Yuta. I can't remember ever, ever hearing him say a goddamn word before his first words are during a live battle with MJF on his home turf. Did Yuta mean MJF had more catchphrases than friends or more catchphrases than friends? The TV show. I was confused. Um, I, I, I totally read it as uh, the friends TV show, but uh, either oh, really? line. Yeah, I did. I read um, it as the other way, but it okay. works both ways. Does it not? I, I think both lines are pretty lame to be quite honest. <laughs> you have more catchphrases than you do friends. Like that's yeah. okay. <laughs> MJF doesn't have friends. Burn. <laughs> Ooh, like that really Wheeler, hurts. I like Wheeler, you, Wheeler Yuta, who has, you know. You, you wouldn't even have a top five on MySpace. <laughs> That's it. Regarding Darby Allen and, and the body bag on the New York subway, I was there a month ago, and in all seriousness, I was struck by how frequently riders are told to report any suspicious people or items. It's literally every five minutes on the PA, and signs are everywhere, too. <laughs> this might have been off-peak hours. Yeah, I think they would have been okay. 10 out of 10. P.S. The Jays put playoff tickets on sale today, despite not clinching a spot yet. And what did you know it? They lost tonight. Why did Toronto sports teams always get ahead of themselves like this? Oh, so they, are they completely out of the wild card race? I have no idea. Oh, interesting. Let us know. Uh, let us know, uh, Chris in Ottawa, as you update your feedback midway through, I'm sure. Okay, you're up next. Cody from Maine. Uh, 
AEW is three for three in terms of delivering great dynamites in the aftermath of All Out. Not only did we see another great Jericho match, but him winning the ROH title is a nice twist, especially with Garcia holding the Pure Championship. And if ROH does get its own show, Jericho recreating his AEW title run is a good way to get that brand reestablished. The acclaimed winning and Soraya's debut were both great moments that the show will be remembered for. Hopefully, the follow-up is strong in both regards. And the finish of the main event was definitely surprising. I'm interested in where they take Brian next after failing to avenge the loss. Yeah, that was brought up in the road to that he had four losses in AEW. He had avenged the three with Garcia, Hangman, and uh, Jericho, and this was the lone loss that he had not avenged. So it continues to be. I kind of like that. That it's the one loss that hangs over him, and it's his teammate that Agreed. has those two wins. So that that's a long term thing that you can go back to one day. I hope he never beats Moxley. Um, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. If, but they this should do another like, match when when the time's right. Well, like this, it, it's the it's the Sonata Okada thing, right? Like you know, he's the guy that he could never beat, and and what a, what a way to put over Moxley. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go to Rob, who says one of the better two hour, one of the best two hour shows ever. I love the pace of the show. The MJF segment was great. It was a great palate cleanser to not just one but two back to back title changes. The look of the stadium felt big and energetic. The guest stars added pageantry, including Trina. Uh, the finish to the Mox match was the most MMA authentic and real- realistic finish I've ever seen in a pro wrestling title match. Great show, and I can't wait for a two-hour Friday Rampage Friday. Uh, yeah, I wanted to highlight that particular line because it w- if you notice it, like it was a it was a rear naked choke, but it was not like Brian was facing the hard camera, or at least like his face wasn't. He was no, he was down. covered. Yeah, he was covered by Moxley. It was a belly down rear naked choke, and it is uh you know relatively like kind of like. Not the best for cameras. Like, it's the type of finish where you can see, like, Vince or Kevin Dunn saying, you can't get away with that. Like, well, we want to see his face. But it's realistic. Like, you know, and, and I completely agree. I love the simplicity of it as well. You wouldn't have liked them to be standing with the choke applied and Brian is, like, One, doing two, the- three. Oh, yeah. One. Um, yeah. Two. Mm-hmm. Muggin has the last word. Moxley deserves his flowers for put it, putting off his vacation as he pulled off the three-peat in the main event. <laughs> Acclaimed Swerve in our glory was on par with their all-out match. Claudio and Jericho is a solid opener that opens the door for Garcia to potentially become double champion. It was pretty neat seeing Fabulous, Who Kid, and Trina, too. It was like the Source Awards. Soraya looks healthy, and I'm getting irritated over the Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter story. Slow burns are great if done right, but dragging them out any longer is torture, and I'm glad Tony Storm retained her interim title. Strong second outing at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And I've been informed by several people, including Chris, that says the Jays still have a chance of making it to the playoffs. So Okay, there you're all up to date. Um, There you go. So there was AEW Grand Slam. Uh, Before we get out of here, I just want to quickly note... um, because we, we skipped over the news earlier just to uh, look at Raw from this past week. They went against two NFL games, and it, it definitely hurt their – well, it was interesting. They they were down 7% in viewership, uh, their lowest since July 4th. Their demo, though, in 18 to 49, they stayed even from the, the prior week, so not as big of a hit there. And this was going against um, – you know, when you – you had the NFL game on ESPN. It was simulcast on ESPN2. And then you had the game on ABC as well. So between them all, you were talking about like 19 million or so viewers when you added up all the broadcasts. So it was a lot that they were up against on Monday. Um, 
they they were hit in uh, eighteen to thirty four and fifty plus. So with fifty plus down, uh, that is going to bring down that overall viewership. And then NXT on Tuesday, uh, this was the taped show, so they taped this last week. They were down five and a half percent in viewership, up two percent in the demo. Um, but also, like continuing this trend that we've seen over the last week for all shows, with the exception of last week's Dynamite, is eighteen to thirty four down uh, double digits week over week for uh, Raw, for SmackDown, for NXT, for Rampage, and um, and this week as well. It's that Bachelor effect. I'm telling you. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe it is. In fact, um, women eighteen to forty nine was uh, kind of back on track this week after a big drop last week. Um, but e- even with some of these declines, I feel like a tape show really does not bear much impact on NXT. And earlier this year, they had a tape show that it was one of their best 18 to 49 numbers of the entire year. So I would be very curious how many people tuned in even were aware that it was taped uh, last week mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they were <laughs> they were down in viewership, but they th- their demo was like the same, but it meant like a higher positioning. on Like they were number seven on cable on Tuesday night. So a top 10 finish for NXT that does not happen routinely uh, for NXT. And this is the same case next week. Next week is taped. And then the following week after that is uh, the next, uh, I guess they will be back live at that point. So uh, did you see any NXT? The main thing was Solo Sokoa giving up the North American title, which was, um, I really like putting the title on Solo Sokoa. And Mm -hmm. you had that photo op at the press conference of everyone but Sammy with the title. And this just felt like such a um, deflating Way to end that after a week, and he just hands over the belt, and they're going to put it up in a ladder match. Totally agreed. Yeah, I thought I, I was pretty disappointed to hear it, um, just because like I felt like it was not only great for Sokoa, I thought it was great for NXT in general, just to kind of have that you know presence on Fox, right? Like it main evented the last last week's edition of of, of uh, SmackDown, so I think I like I was expecting Sokoa to like you know be bouncing back and forth, which I think would have been great for him. Would have been mm-hmm. great for NXT. Would have been great for the title. To to just kind of see them like sever that those ties was definitely disappointing. And um, yeah, like I wonder how if they'll even address it on SmackDown. Yeah, it just kind of is odd that here's this guy that you. It's not like the title was just this background thing. It was defended last week, and now this week on SmackDown, he's not going to have this belt. Mm-hmm. And you either ignore it, and that's kind of like the the audience is confused or you explain it and here's your brand new guy that is like okay he's uh he's given up his belt after what it, it just seemed like what was what did we yeah. get out of this it, it just feels like you know you had such a perfect scenario with the bloodline everybody having a belt except sammy and now it feels like there's a bit of a blemish they can always address it i'm sure in some way but ultimately i felt it, it hurt carmelo hayes too you know to like just kind of lose this lose this title to this guy not not be able to win it back uh not be able to get any sort of semblance of revenge so. Dude, Carmelo Hayes has has outgrown NXT. I would say more yeah. than anybody. Uh, he mm-hmm. is main roster ready now. Um, yeah, I I don't want to see this guy get the North American title again. I guess he's going to be in Hall. He's at least going to be around for another month because Havoc is not till October twenty second. But he's he's reached his ceiling in NXT. He is him and Trick are ready to go up to the main roster. I totally agree with you. Now, like if it was like. Six months ago, I would have still questioned how well he would have done on the main roster. Just given, oh, I would have too. I, I, I don't have any of those concerns uh, at the moment. But also, timing wise, you don't want to just move him up if you don't have a plan for him. So that is, he does though feel like he's in a holding pattern. It's almost like it's, um, you know, you've graduated high school, but you're you're coming back for a victory lap. That's what it feels Mm -hmm. like. He is like even even ahead of like 
Braun, like Braun is still, you know, figured into things. I wouldn't want to rush him, but mm-hmm. Carmelo is totally ready uh, to, to move up. And the last thing, uh, just to note here, uh, that Andrew had up on the site is that Kushida, who had been uh, removed from a show earlier this week, he is now off of their September 21st show. That is, uh, or sorry, he was off of today's show, and he apparently has uh, hand, foot, and mouth disease. So he will be off Thursday show in Takamatsu, and we will see if that impacts him for any of the remainder of the Burning Spirit tour. But um, yeah, there you go. That is what uh, Kushida is dealing with. So that is uh, your latest news, and you can catch up on everything at postwrestling.com. Tomorrow, wellness policy at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the link will be sent out during the day, and then it will be available free for everybody uh, later in the afternoon. And MCU Later will be exclusive to Post Wrestling Cafe members with Rich Fan and Karen Peterson. Way and I are back Friday night, special start time, midnight Eastern, after two hours of SmackDown, two hours of Rampage, and then we're going to talk about four hours of wrestling. So Saturday morning will be fun. It always is, John. Yeah, four hours. We'll see how all they hold up. Like, this was a really strong two hours. After four hours of wrestling, what are we going to be like? It's always a party on Friday night. So look out for that. Um, We will be opening up the phone lines and uh, talking all things professional wrestling from the past week. So thanks to everybody in the chat room uh, for joining us live. As Way mentioned earlier, subscribe to the channel. You can turn on your notifications. So anytime that we go live, you will be alerted. We are live here minutes after Raw, minutes after Dynamite, and then minutes after Rampage on Friday nights. So you can't get enough of us. Thanks, Jay, again. JM for that huge super chat. Uh, as well as Jamie, of course, for his super chat as well. So thank you guys for all your support, and thanks for listening in general. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for tuning in to Rewind a Dynamite.